0: Every now and then you read somebody writing a piece, on basically taking the Buddha to task on the first of the three characteristics. The thrust of the piece usually is, what's wrong with change? Change is a good thing. If it weren't for change, we wouldn't have happiness. There'd be no art in the world. Music, literature. all the things that make life enjoyable, they say, come from change. So what's wrong with it? But you have to look at change in context. That's what those four Dharma summaries are about. The chant we chanted just now, the four comments that Ratabala made to the king, Gauravya, to explain why he ordained. And it's interesting to notice how he explains those four summaries, because they tie into both the teaching on inconstancy, stress, and not self, and also into the simple fact of aging, illness, and death. The first of the summaries has to do with inconstancy. The world is swept away, it does not endure, which again... on its own may not be a bad thing. Certain things getting swept away would not be bad for the world. But then he illustrates it with aging. King Gauravya, when he was young, he was strong, but now he's 80 years old. He says even just, I think I'll put my foot one place and end up putting it someplace else. don't have even that much control when when aging comes. change is nice when it's well handled, but when you think of all, say, the beautiful music in the world, think of all the lousy music in the world. and People actually make an effort to make to write lousy music. Not that they intended to be lousy, but it's very difficult to write good music, very gif- difficult to write good art literature. If change were a good thing, it would, you'd think it would be easy to write good art, good literature, draw good paintings, but it's hard, which shows that it takes an awful lot of skill to make change happy. And even people who are very skilled at it, how do they end up? Well, they end up getting older. And as they get older, all kinds of indignities come to them. The body can't function. When the body can't function, they can't do things for people the way they used to. and the They get less and less control over themselves, less and less control over their relationships. And it's a pretty sad state of affairs. That kind of change is inevitable. It's built into the way things are. When we think about it, the change that we try to create through art and literature and music goes against the way things are. Things have a nice beginning, they build up a little tension, but then it's nicely released at the end. And there's a sense of completion, a sense of coming to a satisfying goal. But life isn't like that. It's the end of life, everything just falls apart as we get older and older. That moves into the next insight, the next Dharma summary. The world offers no shelter. There's no one in charge. And he illustrates this with the fact of illness. He asks the king, "Do you have a recurring illness?" And the king says, "Yes, I have a wind illness, which in those days meant sharp, shooting pains go through the body." And he says, "Some people." All of his courtiers and his relatives hang around and say, maybe he might die now, maybe he might die now. And then Ratabala asks the king, can you ask those friends and courtiers and relatives who hang around, could you please share out some of this pain? The king says, no, not even a king can ask other people to share out his, the pain that comes with illness. This illustrates the second of the three characteristics, the stress and suffering that come along with change. The natural change of the body. And finally, the third characteristic, not self. The world has nothing of its own and has to pass on, leaving everything behind. The king has lots of wealth all stored up, and of course he has a strong sense that it is his own wealth. But then, when he dies, he can't take it with him. He's got to leave it behind. That's the ultimate not-self teaching. Even your body, your feelings, your perceptions, your thought constructs, your consciousness, you can't take those with you either. It's interesting to think, maybe the Buddhist teachings on the three characteristics came from the simple fact of aging, illness, and death, aging, and constancy, illness, stress and suffering, death, not self. The fourth Dharma summary is what ties it all up and shows why those three characteristics are so threatening. The world is insufficient, insatiable, a slave to craving. There's never enough, no matter what you create in this world. There's never a sense of true completion. Even the completion, sense of completion that comes at the end of a piece of nice music, the end of a good novel, a good book. It's a false sense of completion. There's never really a sense that that settles all your problems in life, that settles all the issues in life. There's nothing more to do. There's a lot more to do. You keep looking for other works of art, other music, to create that sense of completion, but it just doesn't happen. Rattabala illustrates this with asking the king. someone to come to you, and even though you already are reigning over a very prosperous country here, someone were to say, you know, there's a country over to the east with lots of wealth, but it's, in terms of military strength, it's weak enough that you could, you could conquer it, given the forces you have, would you do it? The king says, of course, suppose someone were to come from the west, the same news, well, conquer the kingdom to the west, the north, the south, conquer the kingdoms to the north and south, it's just unending. What if someone to come over, say there's a country on the other side of the ocean. Well, the king would send his forces there too. It's not the case that by giving in to your desires, giving in to your cravings, you finally satisfy them. They just make you more and more hungry. It becomes more and more habitual. Once there's a craving, once there's a desire, you've got to satisfy it. And when you think of how things are inconstant, stressful, and not-self, and how you yourself are subject to aging, illness, and death, there's no end to it all. There's never a point of satisfaction. Even death doesn't put an end to things, the Buddha said. "It's We travel on through the craving, in the same way that wind can carry a flame from one burning house to another burning house, set that one on fire. Says craving carries us over from one lifetime to the next. What's interesting is that the Buddha said all of this inconstancy, stress, and not-self is rooted in desire, and yet because of the desire we're never satisfied. It's through our lack of satisfaction that we want this and want that. And if the things that we create in order to fill up that lack never really give satisfaction. That's the ordinary way of the world. So no matter how good the change gets, no matter how skilled you are at riding the waves of change, it's never enough. That's why the Buddha tells us, advises us, to look elsewhere for true happiness. And what he does is he takes that craving and he tries to manage it wisely. In other words, the first craving basically wants us to get as much happiness as possible, as quickly as possible, with as little effort as possible. But to develop discernment. He says you take that desire for happiness and you adjust it a bit. What would true happiness, what could we do to give rise to true happiness, long lasting happiness? A happiness that wouldn't change. And then this way, you take your desire, and you take the possibility of change, and you turn it into a path that leads beyond, that finally does lead to a point of completion, a point of total satisfaction, a total as many of the Thai Johns call it, the the land of enough. That's what we're doing as we're practicing here, as we're trying to take that craving and turn it into something wise, use it wisely. This desire, which is at the root of all things, as the Buddha said, the root of all dharmas. Dharma is here meaning just any phenomenon of any kind, but it can also mean what we think of Dharma with a capital D, the Dharma that leads us out, the Dharma of practice. There has to be a desire there. If you're going to walk across the room, you've got to have a desire to get to the other side. The question is how to use that desire in a skillful way. Walking across the room is not a big big issue, but with the practice, the whole issue of desire in the practice is a lot more subtle, a lot more intricate. We want the desire that impels us along the path, but we don't want it to be so much that it gets in the way. But still remember, there's got to be that desire. And it's focused on this one issue. What can we do that gives rise to long-lasting happiness, and ultimately happiness that doesn't change at all? That's what we're working on here. Wherever we may be in the practice right now, that's the general direction and where we're heading. That's the question that underlies everything. So look at what you're doing in terms of your thought, in terms of your thoughts, your words, your deeds. Not only while you're sitting here meditating, but in the whole course of the day. What habits do you have that get in the way of long lasting happiness? Your habits in terms of dealing with yourself, your habits in terms of dealing with other people, how you manage the day, how you devote your time, the intensity with which you focus on what you're doing. All of this is a part of the practice, things that you can look at. This is an important part of the Buddha's teachings that everything he teaches is the things that we can actually look at. He was not a, a mystifier, didn't make anything into a big mystery. That everything you need to know is right in front of your eyes. The problem is that you're looking past it. Look very carefully at your intentions. I was reading today a uh, a blurb for a book on Buddhist ethics, which someone was proposing that the precepts are too simple-minded because our our actions have so many ramifications that it just opens you up to this big world of mystery. Someone is taking the, the Buddha's effort to remove mystery from our lives and put it back in. So if you look really carefully at your intentions, you can see whether they're skillful or not. the metal qualities that underlie them. And if you stay right there and act on that insight, is there anger motivating your thoughts, words, and deeds? Is there greed? Is there delusion? Keep your focus right here, and you find that the process of change in your life becomes something you begin to manage more and more skillfully. Don't lose sight of what's right here, because everything you need to know in order to attain, attain true awakening, in order to discover that happiness which is beyond change, it's right here in your body and mind, the process of fabrication, physical, verbal, mental, it's all right here, especially right here when you're sitting here with your mind on the breath, thinking about and evaluating the breath. All the factors you're going to need to know are right here, and yet we tend to look past them. So try to keep your focus right here. and it's what the, the irony of it all is that the more right here you are in your focus, the longer-term the the happiness that comes from your actions. As you get more and more skillful at this one point, it has ramifications that go out in all directions. So The process of change is something that's happening right here. Learn to master it right here, and so instead of becoming the change that leads to more stress and suffering, that leads to more separation, that leads to greater sense of dissatisfaction, you turn it around. You take that craving and you tame it by focusing it right here. And the more right here you are, the longer term the good results that come. You give up the the guesswork and the speculation, and you focus on things that you can really know right here, right now. That's why the Buddhist teachings are for everybody. Think about it, the the great Ajahns in Thailand, most of them came from peasant families. That was back in the days when the Thai government was very proud of what it was doing to Buddhism. It was straightening everything out starting from the top down. And it didn't have nearly the effect, long-term effect, that the actions of a few peasant sons did, out there in the boondocks, out there in the woods, focusing on things that they could know for themselves, right there in their own thoughts, words, and deeds. Those are the ones who have made the most, had the biggest impact, the most long-term and deepest impact on keeping the Dharma alive, not only in Thailand but around the world. So the way the whole process of change and causality is built in this world, the more careful you are about what you do and say and think in the immediate present, the better the long-term results are going to be. Instead of thinking of trying to satisfy our desires for happiness in the world of change, we take that world of change and we turn it to the changeless. Look for that which is unchanging right here, right now. We can finally work through that whole issue of craving. Take it apart. Why is there craving for this? What can be done to channel it properly? What can be done finally to put it to an end? When there is a sense of enough. That's what the teachings on the three characteristics are about. That's why the Buddha keeps reminding us about aging, illness, and death. Because otherwise, we tend to get contented with this, that, and the other thing. This seems to be okay, that seems to be okay, this is good enough in the practice. But that fourth summer of the Dharma, it's never enough until you get to the Tathless. That's the only place where there's a true sense of enough. That's where the craving finally disbands. So, this is why we keep. Chanting these passages again and again and again about aging, illness, and death, and separation. And the world is swept away, it does not endure, offers no shelter, there's no one in charge, has nothing of its own, one has to pass on, leaving everything behind. It's insufficient, insatiable, slave to craving. All sounds pretty negative, but it has a positive import to remind us not to settle for less than the best. instead of being depressing, these teachings are liberating. reminds us not to look in the wrong place, not to weigh ourselves down with the expectations that can never really lead to true happiness at all. So even though the teachings may sound negative, they have a very positive import.